The scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Psalms, often described as poetry as well as prayer. These are ancient songs of lament and gratitude and anger and faith and hope and joy. Sometimes all of those things in one psalm. Psalms reflect the human condition in an emotional and immediate way. There are 150 of them in the Psalter. This is the final one, the last words of the Hebrew Psalters. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise her for her mighty deeds. Praise her according to her surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise her with tambourine and dance. Praise her with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud and crashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The word of the God for the people of God. Let us join together in a moment of prayer. Gracious God, today we gather to praise you with the sound of trumpets, strings, and harps. We gather to praise you with pipes made of metal and wood and with our unique voices lifted up in word and song. We gather together so that all that breathe can praise you. And so this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together may be pleasing in your sight, O God, our strength and hope. Amen. It's a question I am frequently asked and can almost never answer. What inspired me to be a church organist? Organ students often cite the power of the organ, or its majesty, or its seemingly infinite palette of colors as reasons for their pursuit of a career in music. And while all of those are valid and quite truthful answers, it is the church organist part of the question that is glossed over in those answers. And it is the church part of that question that often stumps me as well. I started playing organ professionally in church in seventh grade. I might be biased, but Lutherans have some of the best hymnody. <laughs> That's probably why Lutherans are bred to sing in four-part harmony, along with bringing jello to church potlucks in a color that matches the liturgical season. <laughs> I believe it was that desire to play those Lutheran hymns that inspired me to pursue playing organ at church. And really not much has changed, as I still regard playing hymns as one of the best parts of this job. The loneliness of learning and practicing the organ, plus the loneliness I felt in middle and high school in general, inspired me to seek out ways, mostly musical ways, to forge connections with other people. The opportunity to make collaborative music in the band, orchestra, and various chamber ensembles is the primary reason I took up the French horn and chose that as my professional focus throughout my undergraduate and graduate studies. A key element of studying an orchestral instrument like the horn is playing in the large and small ensembles and creating relationships 
building teamwork and collaboration within your section. Making music and collaboration as part of something greater than myself was exactly what I needed. I continued working in church, though, and only ever took one semester off while I was studying over in Vienna. When I moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan for graduate school, the plan was to find a church that supported my beliefs, not tell them I was a musician, and avoid another church job. I wanted to focus for those two years on making myself a marketable horn player and teacher, and a church job would just have gotten in the way of that. On my second Sunday of church shopping in Kalamazoo, I found the first congregational church. I heard their pastor begin the service by saying, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here, and we mean it. After which we sang basically all of my favorite hymns, supported by a talented choir and accompanied by a vibrant organist playing one of the most beautiful organs I had ever heard. People worship in different ways, and they find God through different means. Some find God in silence. Some find God in community on Sunday morning. Some find God in spoken words, or in the scripture, or in the pastoral prayers. Some find God in communion, in the coffee between services, in nature, and some find their connection to God in music or visual arts. I found that connection through music while worshiping at the church in Kalamazoo, and without hesitation, I came back the next week and the next. And anyone who's read my bio knows that before the semester even started, I was a member of the choir, and the church was looking to hire me as their organ scholar. <laughs> I learned as the organ scholar in Kalamazoo that a career in church music isn't the same as a career in classical music. The musicians on stage as members of an orchestra or singing in a chorus or company are excellent in what they do, and they are there to entertain you by performing their craft at an exceedingly high level of technical and musical mastery. I know, I have tried to work in that field. Church music is different. And sure, the organists of the world will still sit down every Sunday with the hope of providing music at a very high technical and musical level. That's not much different. But in church music, we have the opportunity to meet members of the congregation, work with them in music ministry, hear their stories, understand their joy and pain, and to support this specific community with the music that we create together. Church music is different because we use music and its relevance to the scripture and other elements of the service to help the congregation find that connection to God. So how does the organ play into all of that? It is a very versatile instrument. On every given and any given Sunday morning, it will be tasked to play three or four solo pieces of differing styles, differing volumes, and colors. It will need to lead and support the congregation as they sing the hymns, some that they know, and some like the one we will sing right after the sermon that are new and probably unfamiliar. The organ will sometimes accompany the choir, play interludes or meditations, play the doxology, accompany the singing of a psalm, ring bells, play alongside brass, accompany a solo voice, and more, and more, and more. That versatility, and the fact that it often takes only one person to play, is instrumental in why churches throughout history have taken organs instead of perhaps choirs of brass or lutes or harpsichords into their walls for worship. This program year, we are celebrating 130 years since our beautiful Hook and Hastings organ was installed. As many of you know, this instrument has gone through a significant amount of change in the last century. It was originally powered by water, and each key on the instrument depressed a thin wooden rod to let air into the corresponding pipes. There were fewer stops or sounds to choose from, 
and using the instrument relied on the availability of water in the city. Later on, electricity replaced the water to provide air to the instrument, and most recently, the wooden rods that I spoke about were taken out and replaced with some fancy newfangled electric system that does the very same job, but allows for a more consistent touch. It maintains its historical significance today, certainly, but also is able to be used efficiently as a tool to lead a congregation and handle all varieties of repertoire, the old and the modern alike. So as I told people throughout the week that I would be giving the sermon on Sunday, without fail, each one asked for me, um, asked me if I would be talking about how the organ works. So I will be glad to oblige and give a very brief crash course in all things organ this morning. And so I'll walk over here to do that. This is the console. Um, in the first service, Jackie said that this is where I live, and it's, it's pretty true. Um, but this is where I sit to play the music each Sunday morning. These are the keyboards set up very much like a piano with black and white keys. Um, we call them manuals in the profession, and we have three on this organ. There's one in Pennsylvania or somewhere, Pittsburgh, I think, that has six. We have a pedal board down there for the feet, and with that are two black rectangles that control the volume. The one on the left controls the volume by closing a room of pipes, just like covering your mouth as you speak. The other one changes the volume by adding or taking away a set number of stops or sounds to make it louder or softer. These stops are the white-looking knobs to the left and right of the manuals. Each one corresponds to a different voice or a different effect on the organ. There are, pri there are five primary stop families, um, families of sound on the organ, so I'll demonstrate each one of them. The principles are the kind of the bread and butter of the way we make the sounds. They have a very basic sound so that we can build on top of them with other colors. We also have flutes that I demonstrated earlier as you all were pretending to play. We have strings, which are beautiful. And we have reeds, which mean thing like, things like bassoons and clarinets and trumpets. Ooh, they're a little bit strident today. And then we have these things called mutations, and they use the harmonic series and play different notes along the harmonic series to give a different color. And if that went over your head, they just they play a different note to give a color. And they sound something like this. The stops come together in all sorts of different ways to create all sorts of different color combinations. And these buttons below each of the manuals and the black buttons above the pedals down there are ways that I can preset different combinations of stops to get different colors and sounds. I'm also asked quite frequently how we read music as organists. Um, we have three lines generally. The top line is for the right hand and is usually in treble clef. The middle line is for the left hand and is usually somewhat in bass clef. And then the bottom line is for the pedals and it's almost always in bass clef. And that is your very basic crash course into how the organ works. The organ voluntaries, or the pieces today uh, for solo organ, utilize the entire instrument, and I chose them that way. All five families of sound, all three manuals, the preset buttons, the volume pedals, and everything else that I just talked about. But I also chose them because they follow a musical timeline from Baroque 
to freshly composed. The beautiful introit by Johann Pachelbel is a Baroque toccata, which begins with a very free tempo first section and leads into the more metronomic second section, which is um, a mix of improvisatory and strict. Pachelbel and his other Baroque counterparts wrote a lot of music like that, including Bach, who was one of his later counterparts, and they utilized the rules and the formulas. However, by the time of Vidor, who was the next composer in the French Romantic period, composers were becoming increasingly influenced by more complex harmonies and capturing the depth and intricacies of human emotion within the music that they were writing. The piece by Vidor that happens during the offering is complex and beautiful, and it uses the strings of the organ and a haunting flute solo in the pedal. The postlude, I'm not quite sure what that will sound like just yet because it has not yet been composed and will be composed in the moment as an improvisation using the tune of the opening hymn this morning, one of my very favorites, All Creatures of Our God and King, as its basis. I did the math once, and there are approximately 2,564 pipes up there in this instrument, and no single pipe is the exact same as any other. It takes 2,500 pipes, each different and each unique, to achieve the range of highs, lows, colors, and timbres that make up this organ. You see, an organ can't sound like an organ. There's no such thing, because each organ is unique. And while we're clearing that up, the orchestra in one city doesn't sound like the orchestra in the next city, because the personnel playing the instruments and conducting are unique. Our chancel choir doesn't sound like the choir at First Christian or the one at First Methodist because each choir is built of different people. And our chancel choir doesn't sound the same when any single member is gone or sick as it does when all are present. The point I'm trying to make is when the psalmist says, let everything that breathes praise the Lord, he knows that each and every person in the church, in our church, plays a unique and integral part in the life of the community just as every pipe in our organ creates a unique and essential sound. Our organ really isn't much different from our church. For 130 years, our organ has stood as a towering, beautiful, and consistent reminder of a community created out of living, breathing, changing, colorful, unique, and equally important individuals who by themselves certainly create a beautiful sound, but create something truly magnificent when they are together. Amen.